Good evening. You are listening to a Rad Legion Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And tonight, our favorite show is you. No, the TV show, you, not not you. It's, oh, I've already done this bit with John Brodigan years ago. Um, <laughs> the TV show, you, formerly on Lifetime, now currently on Netflix. And we are talking season two tonight. And I am joined by the pitch man himself, the one who brought this to me and said, you know, he twisted my arm, he kicked mud in my eyes, he pushed me over. Over, uh, he actually pushed me over Pat Mullen in the process. He said, "You're doing you, sucker." There he is, Jason Teasley. How do you do, sir? Doing well, doing well. Hope everybody had a nice holiday Thanksgiving break, and glad to be talking about you know you, Mark, you, you, because you. I woof you. I woof I you woof too, you. Jason. And we also woof Pat, old sport, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? I am nothing if not topical for these shows, boys. You really are. I like that you change your gimmick up for each one of these. Every single one, I'll find something. All right. So we're going to be all kinds of conversational tonight. We're going to have fun. Um, we'll just, I'll, I'll set it up this way and then we'll, we'll go where the wind takes us, boys. Uh, this, this season one ended with the return of Joe's girlfriend, who we thought was dead, who he thought was dead. And we get, and we get, uh, I thought she was in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> Italy, dead, the same thing. Um, and we get some insight over the course of season two as to why uh, she was believed to be dead. We also, uh, Joe has fled New York, fled her, as a matter of fact, and gone to Los Angeles. He's got a new name and he's starting over. He's been working in some sort of a like coffee shop, bookstore, vegan thing. That I is, assume uh, those are all very normal in LA. Yeah, that, no, yeah. totally. Um, where he is working for and befriends a pair of twins. He ends up, uh, they are uh, boy and girl twins, and he is dating the girl who turns out is also a killer, <laughs> and hilarity ensues. And I have to say, Jason, I loved Joe's girlfriend in this. She might be my new favorite character of this entire series. She is fantastic. Love, love is an interesting character, uh, yes. especially... Especially the progression you see in season two, uh, she doesn't show her crazy until that last, last uh, Ocean's Eleven montage that she goes through. <laughs> uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, Love is just one of those characters. She is just the entitled princess that you socialite that you probably see everywhere in LA. Uh, Forty is actually one of my favorite characters because he is such a dim-witted douchebag mm -hmm. that, you know, that is pretty much the stereotypical uh, wannabe actor, producer, writer in Hollywood, I figure. Yeah. Um, but he's got, like, this entitlement to him because he had one hit and he's resting on the laurels of that and he thinks he's bigger than what he actually is. You know, he's been to rehab multiple times, but you come to find out that He's not like that for a reason. 
because he has the golden parachute. And mm-hmm. there was an instance in his life that really fucked him up. That sitting spiraling that he's never really recovered from. Yeah. I know, Pat, you, we, uh, for those of you that are listening to this or watching, we have a group chat that all of us who broadcast together participate in and kind of talk about shows we're watching, shows we're going to review at some point. And I, um, I, I, I did my watch of this show about a week or so ago, and I said, hey, I'm starting season two. And both Pat and Jason were like, oh, my God, 40 is our favorite character. And I went, ugh, Why? And I, I see it by the end of the season. I saw what they saw, but I want you to talk about it, Pat. Why do you love Forty so much? Forty is not just a character. Forty is essential as a plot device for so much of this. Yeah. Without him, the wheels don't turn in a lot of respects that we need them to for the narrative to continue in its way. Mm-hmm. Uh, going all the way back to his initial appearance, where he goes on a drug-induced uh, stupor at Hendy's party where Joe is clearly visible in the scene, um, which will catch up to us later. But 40's basic codependency uh, in the relationship he has with his sister, Love, mm-hmm. drives so much of everything. There's and a great they, line that resonates in my head. I actually was telling my wife about this today, that I la- that I probably got the biggest laugh out of me, is when Joe's doing his, his voiceover narration, and he goes, somehow or other, I ended up in a throuple with you and your brother. <laughs> I cried. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, almost a, an entanglement. Uh, yeah. But but they do such a good job of painting 40s necessity to Joe in many respects mm-hmm. in this show, where Joe legitimately at a certain point in time in his head falls for love, screws up, mm-hmm. but then realizes 40s actually on his side for this. And good Lord, I actually need you. You're actually of value to me. Yeah, I'm actually turning the corner on how I feel about you a little bit. And of course, 40 being 40 does things to screw that up, mm-hmm. as you do when you are a uh, uh, by, eh, I don't know. I don't want to armchair diagnose anybody, but there's definitely a narcissistic component. There's mm-hmm. a sociopathic component because he refuses to take responsibility for so much. Those two except for the, the one pool. thing, Except for the one thing he didn't do that he was led to believe he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but maybe that's why. And just the there's odd sibling relationships in a lot of the stuff we cover over varied uh, yeah. mediums on the podcasts we do through here. This is one of the more odd, complicated ones mm-hmm. that was like six inches from like incest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, nothing is necessarily necessarily implied, and certainly not shown. No, but they are. The word you're looking for is enmeshed. Uh, love and and forty are enmeshed with each other, and um, the the wedding or the the uh, vow renewal re episode where you get a very clear picture of what this family was like and why they're as traumatized as they are. And siblings being enmeshed um, is is a fairly common thing that happens, you know, in like families full of trauma, um, unhealthy enmeshment, which is what this absolutely is. But it's so what what the strength of this season is it's all kind of a slow burn reveal. Like you are led to believe, Jason, that love is fairly sane. And I have to say, and I, I want to go back to this. Um, in terms of like the girl in 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 this show, she's so much better than Beck. Like, yes. like the actress was better, the character was written better, 
the characterization was more appealing to me. And even when she finally reveals that, oh, by the way, I'm the girl version of Joe and I have to kill the people that are hurting us in our lives or getting in our way. She has a charisma about her where I'm like, no, love, I see your point. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she, um, she won me over. Yeah. Love is definitely uh, <clears throat> leaps and bounds better than Beck. Yeah. Because you don't see the, the entitlements there, but you, you see it. You don't see it all the way through until the mm -hmm. last episode when everything starts getting revealed. You actually see the codependency. Mm hmm. And uh, of her brother, which is basically her focal point. Like, that is her being. Is You find that out because of what happens with the, the babysitter. Mm -hmm. She is the protector of her brother because their parents are shitty. And right. she feels that she has to take care of Forty. And then she has that nurturing thing that drives her to want to take care of Joe and protect Joe from everything. And it's such and, a, and I want to get to Pat because Pat was shaking his head. He wants to jump and jump on the <laughs> grenade and defend Beck, and I want him to do that. But I have to tell you, like the first couple of episodes where Joe, where Joe won't let Love in, Joe doesn't. Yeah. Joe doesn't want to repeat the same things that happened in season one. So he's kind of closed himself off. Not to mention he doesn't want to give away that he's in hiding. So he's trying to stay closed off. And love keeps knocking down the door like the Kool-Aid man, you know, and like, let me in, Joe. And like a big part of the dramatic tension between the two of them is Joe going, I'm bad. I'm bad for you. I'm bad for your situation. And he's doing the same thing he, do he does with Peck. He infantilizes her. He's like, love, you're so perfect. You're so wonderful. And I can only ruin you. And love's like, you know, you realize this. It, it, it's one of those things that is you realize it later. But what love is saying to him, the subtext of love's, uh, uh, acting in those scenes is no, 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 no. I'm already ruined. I'm good. <laughs> you know, there's nothing more you can do to me that hasn't been done to me already. And I want to love you, and I want you to let me love you. And I'm mad, and I'm mad at you because you keep throwing up walls in the way. Go ahead and finish your point, Jason, and then I want to go to Pat. Yeah, I mean that's what I was getting ready to say is because you see the the dependency because Joe doesn't want her, and this mm -hmm. is where you see the entitlement. Right. Because the socialite entitlement, because she wants him and he keeps turning her down. He keeps basically friend zoning her. Mm -hmm. Even though he's having these fantasies, he doesn't want to fall into the same routine with mm -hmm. her that he did with Beck. And that just makes her try harder. And they even get into a fight uh, over the breakfast dinner. It was a romantic gesture. And how he didn't like realize when he was doing it, it was romantic. And like, you want to talk about like sending her mixed signals. That was, yeah. that was big time. Like I can see, like, that's the thing. Like when Beck would flip out with, at Joe, I was like, you're an asshole. When love does it, I'm like, no, no, no you're completely justified. Right. And that, and that builds to the, the reveal at the end. Mm -hmm. But, but that also shows that Joe doesn't have those social cues. Mm-hmm that you would typically get being because he was in a group home. Then he went to Moody. He doesn't have the social cues to learn. Yeah. That's and that you see that. And that's why he's so confused about, he's saying he's doing something nice, but is actually mm -hmm. a romantic gesture. Go now, ahead, Pat, Pat, you, you, yeah. you want to talk about you like Beck more. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you. I, I do prefer Beck of the two. And I'll tell you why. So 
obviously in hindsight, it's easier to see through the season, but there's a lot of red flags with love that come up through the season that aren't mm-hmm. really emphasized until we get to the end montage of the season where you find out, oh, not only is she capable of doing bad things, she's repeatedly already done bad things. <laughs> she done killed everybody. And is willing to continue to do more. Right. Now, there's degrees of entitlement between the two characters that people are constantly pointing out that parallel each other. Whereas, uh, you know, love is coming from money, from very uh, new age in terms of thought process parents and Mm -hmm. odd styles of parenting and lots of cover-ups via money and things of that nature. Beck's entitlement is more one of trying to create and cultivate a lifestyle that she wants to fit into mm-hmm. and justifying it via means of behavior and how she treats herself or allows herself in many instances to be treated by others. Uh, case in point, Benji, um, you know, who essentially just uses her for sex, leads her to believe he cares about her and then see you later. I'm moving on to something else with ecstasy and another girl. Um, like you do. <laughs> like you do. And she's at points willing to devalue herself in order to justify in her head that she's doing the right thing for the life she wants to have eventually. Right. Love kind of already has had that life at one point with her former husband before Mm -hmm. he got sick. Love has had a very privileged life and upbringing throughout where she shouldn't have to resort to these means to do these things. Whereas one of the kind of running jokes of season one is that Beck is poor and surrounds herself in this life by uh, unsavory means many a time where you find out her dad has to pay for her to have a dress to go to some function, Mm -hmm. uh, all all kinds of things of that nature. And by virtue of that, she is somewhat blue collar because she's constantly struggling to do what she has to do in order to get where she needs to go, even if morally it's somewhat bankrupt when she does it. However, Love, who has no knowledge of anything blue collar other than the fact she has a passion for working as a chef, But even then, the means she has taken to do that, you know, she's not working as a short order cook in a food truck to, you know, establish her goal. She's not working her way up from a line cook in a fancy restaurant. Yeah, Yeah, she's in a gourmet, fancy-end supermarket slash bookstore slash health spa paid for by (laughs) mom and dad, franchised out that she essentially can work in with no consequences and do whatever she wants in terms of food preparation. Not This is the recipe. You have to follow it. This is the guideline. Go on there. Like a lot of my friends who are, you know, short line or line cooks worked as and tried to build themselves up through. I, I know a lot of people who work in that vein and it, it is – they see a movie like uh, Burnt with Bradley Cooper and they want to throw shoes at the TV <laughs> because of its just vastly unrealistic depiction of, of what a chef does in this. Right. Whereas this is an instance where they see a character who they've probably met at, you know uh, – NYIT or another you know school with a culinary program and seeing this mm-hmm. and makes them sick because you have somebody with every advantage leg up who does this just kind of because they like it and it's the one thing they don't you know do and that entitlement's a little different than the other sense of entitlement that you try to convince yourself I deserve this because bop 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 mm-hmm. this is I deserve this because I've always had it and I have the means to do it so it's mine and I'll do whatever I have to do to keep it, uh, including murder, manipulation, uh, snooping <laughs> around, hiring, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, de- deliberately manipulating Joe in many instances uh, before she realizes just how unhinged he is when she thinks his name is still Will Bettelheim. Right. I, there, there were a couple of instances throughout season two where her thing with Joe is, 
without saying it outright, the again, the subtext of her relationship to Joe is I can pretty much tolerate any unsavory thing you've done. Like, for whatever reason, she is drawn to Joe. She is connected to him in some way and probably by her, her own sociopathy. And she's decided that that, that above all else will uh, reconcile any any nefarious thing he's done. And, and Joe keeps saying, no, 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 no. You don't want me. I'm a murderer. You don't want me. I'm terrible. And she's going, no, 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 no. All those things are fine. My problem with you is you keep lying about it. Like, yeah. that's her sticking point. That's what I was getting to is, like, love keeps saying, I can forgive all of this other stuff. If you had just told me you were on the run, that would have been fine. If you had told me you were, you'd change your name, that would have been fine. If you had told me you lock people in a, you know, in a, in a fishbowl, you know, <laughs> because that's eventually really murder stuff. them, that would have been fine. That's really easy stuff to confess to that you can just open up and tell anybody and not have to worry about what the consequences Yeah, I mean... That's I mean, a typical Tuesday night here at the Rattler <laughs> Broadcasting Network. Sure. I So you guys keep using the word entitled with her, and I don't know how much I agree with that. I do. I will tell you, I think the her expectation that Joe would tell her day one that I'm a, I'm a murderer on the run because I may or may not have accidentally killed my girlfriend who came back to life, I, I think is a, is a bit much. But well, remember, I never, this is the I same girl. Got, this I never is the got same the girl this. who immediately dropped trowel and screwed him in an alleyway. Sure. And I never got the sense though, like and we and we can move on after this, but I, but you know, this is why I liked her better than Beck. One, her characterization is just more appealing to me than Beck was. But you know, Beck rubbed me all the wrong ways and I couldn't wait for her demise at the end of season one. Oh, I don't um, think either is likable, to be fair. Okay. I see the thing with it is I enjoyed love as a character. And again, when she when she's confessing all of these things, and I think it's the second to last episode, and she had what's great about the actress who plays love, I'll pull her up in a second, is that performance mirrors Joe agonizingly yeah. having to explain to idiots around him why people had to die. And and she does such a great job of mirroring his performance from earlier in the season or the, the previous season. Like I Love is the girl version of Joe, and it's fantastic. And it's not like I like Joe as a character either. But he, seeing Love do it and taking it that extra step of if you'd only if you'd only be my ally and tell me the truth about yourself, everything everything else is fine. I think is hilarious. I want to go back to Forty for a second because I, I hadn't talked about him yet. Forty drove me nuts. Like I see why you guys liked him. But that is a guy with, as Christine would say, with slappable face. And he is absolutely an agent of chaos. <laughs> he, is, he is everything. Like, I can give, see. Give it up to James Scully for playing that part yeah. so well. He, he does a great job of it. But, like, that, that pomposity, you know, calling people old sport, like, we're, like it's 100 years ago. Like it's Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, like, I, I find it, it's hilarious, and it, it definitely is an entertaining aspect of the show. But as, as somebody you have to deal with in a real-life situation, if that were the case, I, yeah, I... <laughs> Stuff like the one of my favorite episodes of this is where he locks Joe away to finish to uh, script <laughs> his screenplay that is based on that is an adaptation of the book Bet uh, Bet Beck was said to have written posthumously about her own murder and, um, by by the uh, by the psychologist or psychiatrist whatever John's famous was Doctor Nikki yeah. Um, 
and the whole thing of like he fakes a kidnapping and then you know he has the guy scan guards of joe can't leave and then he gets him on mushrooms and it's like you are just the absolute worst viol violating human being but he has this weirdo like you know um devil may care sort of charisma about him douchebag savant yeah i um it's just he's ridiculous but you kind of as, as someone just watching the show you kind of like the fact that he you never know what asinine thing he's going to pull out of his hat next and you yeah. don't you don't particularly feel sympathetic to him no when you're supposed to like when they do the the retreat weekend with the vow renewals mm -hmm. and he's not only being manipulated by candace without knowing it um mm -hmm. just for her to be able to get back at joe but you know the the relationship with his parents, which is clearly so cold uh, yeah. from the end of his dad, uh, who just clearly does not like him, does not give a shit about him. Right. And the mother, who is on the surface overtly nurturing, but mm -hmm. you know not not entirely letting him in either, because I think she knows what an idiot and a douchebag he is. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the fact that he kind of screws things up for his sister at certain points too. Right. It just even at those moments when you're supposed to be like, oh, that, you know what? I feel for him. I understand what you really don't. You don't care. He, he's a man child. I, I, mean, I don't like that about people in general. And so, like when you guys like, I yes, he's very entertaining. But yes, when I take a step back and I just look at him as a person, as a character, he's this giant, you know, arrested, developed personality man-child. He is a seven-year-old with endless amounts of money and no responsibility and no, you know, and his his relationship to others, especially Joe, is what can you do for me right now? Take, take a drink, everybody, because I'm going to throw out a wrestling reference. <laughs> he, he reminded me very much of, and we were all watching at this time, like the end of 1997, when, when Goldust, like, broke up with his wife on air and kicked her out basically and just started doing all this weird crap where he dressed mm -hmm. like baby new year and dressed like his dad and did a promo as him and mm -hmm. Jim Ross every, every week on commentary. Oh, the boy who doesn't want to take any responsibility because he was doing this overtly like stupid stuff to get reactions. And he's like, mm -hmm. Oh, he's still looking for love from his daddy. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, this I is, mean, this is reminding me of 40 a little bit. Who, who doesn't show up? Uh, you know, being a manager of a of a place in a Komodo and just you know, just throwing everything in the world out there, not caring, treating employees like shit because he thinks that since they work for him, they have to like him, and he has to be they have to be his friend and you know cater to him. Uh, and this is something that you know goes through the episode because. The the other character, you know, the side character that works at the uh, works for Forty, and just how he describes Forty is great. And then he, and then the rant that happens once they get, you know, they go on the LSD um, binge, and they show up, and you know the fight they get into, you know, it, the actor like portrayed the hatred that he has for 40 mm -hmm. and putting up with 40 shit you know you it kind of came across and it's like everybody feels that way and it's like you you're waiting for that the entire 
season for we were all tired of 40 shit about three episodes before that so yeah and everybody's just you're just waiting for be like yeah somebody just tell 40 to go fuck himself this this is great but go ahead mark no no uh, finish your point because i want to i was gonna no i was i was gonna bring up something else all right well before we move on then let's take a quick pause for the cause to pay some bills um this was a pretty this was a much better written show than the first season i think by i think it was episode seven where i said you mad geniuses you did it you made me love this show and i don't remember what happened in seven but uh, there was something about it where i was cracking up laughing and i was like oh my god this has now become like my favorite show ever and it was episode seven that that finally sunk me um but i'll tell you it could have been even better if they had used grammarly uh, for you listeners of the TV Party Tonight podcast on Rattlers and Broadcasting Network brought to you by W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistakes free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Jason, I'm going to let you go ahead and start whatever topic you wanted to go to, but we do have to talk about Jenny Jenna Ortega, who plays Ellie Alves, which is the 15. Yeah, that's old. where okay. I, I was going to talk about uh, and her sister. Ellie, Ellie, the sister, and yeah. The wheel, wheel, the real wheel, the three, like, <laughs> su- really supporting characters of this because mm-hmm. I, I want to get your guys' take on them because okay, well, hang, hang on one second, and then we have Carmela Zambato who plays Delilah Alves, who's her sister, who is also a reporter and occasionally bangs Joe. Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm just uh, the the supporting characters of this were mm-hmm. much better than the first season oh my uh, god so much better uh like the real wheel uh even though i couldn't get out of my head that you know so yeah he's penguin on gotham yeah i had, and you know I, but he plays this this schizophrenic junkie really well mm-hmm. uh that's a hacker <laughs> and well, of course you know, they all are <laughs> yeah, and you, you, but he's he's a really likable character uh, mm-hmm. because he tries to get through to Joe and being like, "Look, I understand what why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I can help you, but you just gotta let me out." And Joe is like so conflicted mm-hmm. internally, but you finally see that he does let Will out, and Will disappears till he pops up later. And right. the 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 sisters had a real nice dynamic uh i think ellie <laughs> ellie was a a basically a um checkoff's gun through the entire thing because you kept waiting for something to happen with her mm-hmm. uh to like just find out and then basically blackmail joe right uh and yeah then, you knew at some point she was going in the fish tank yeah that's that's what and, and they kept like leading you to that but mm-hmm. and you'll learn this because it's resident season three when we'll talk more about it then there's always a child that joe has to save <laughs> uh if and if because in the first one it was the kid and it's always his neighbor it's mm-hmm. always the the neighbor always has a kid that joe has to protect or save right and you see that resident a lot in this season with ellie with his, the trauma that her sister went through with Hindi. 
and the relationship that she has with her sister. Mm-hmm. And then what ultimately happens to her sister and Joe still has to protect her. Go ahead, Pat. Why don't you talk about um, if you had anything else on the real Will, uh, a.k.a. Penguin from Gotham or the two sisters. So the Will Bettelheim character, I, I, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it showed a turning point in Joe. He actually learned. No, the guy's a cyber criminal and Joe has infinite information on him where if he wanted to have him caught and extradited, he could because all he has to do is provide that to federal authorities. Let's not act like this was a, a kind gesture of Joe to let him out of the cage. Right. By the way, after he kept him prisoner there, withheld his medication, mm-hmm. threatened his life, etc. Also, Will was not an impediment to Joe getting to a girl. No. Which no. is why Benji had to go and why What's Her Nuts had to go in season one. The people that Will kill, tends to kill are, are some sort of impediment to him. And in this particular case, and I don't even remember, I may have blanked out on this, like why they had a falling out to begin with, but he was in no way getting in Joe's way towards a goal of some kind. No, Joe, Joe needed him to create this new identity for him, et cetera, mm-hmm. but he felt the easier way to do it would just be to steal his existing identity right. and imprison him because this guy will also had, you know, a lot of his fingerprints and stuff erased uh, digitally. It would have you so he could be safe for running the business he runs. Right. Um, of course that almost ended up costing Joe his pinky, which would piss him off even more <laughs> uh, when you find out wills into this guy for 50 grand. That was a rough scene, by the way. Could you imagine? Uh, you know, it's just like, hey, bud, come here. And you suddenly you lose a finger and you're like, hey, how did we get here? I don't think they would have left that one in if it was still airing on Lifetime at this point in time. I think that was an advantage of shifting to Netflix. Yeah, which which is crazy to me because, like, I was reading before we went on the air tonight that Lifetime actually ordered a second season. And then, I don't know, got cold feet, saw what they saw and was like, maybe not, maybe not. You know, but they... After ordering it and then deciding they didn't want it is how it ended up on Netflix. Yeah. Because um, they co-opt season one with Sundance, um, mm-hmm. which then didn't have the right lifetime at the option to renew. They chose it, but then all of a sudden backed out. And now Netflix got it and made it run. Yep. Um, but going, going back to Will Bettelheim, I think he's played really well by Robin Lord Taylor, um, who mm-hmm. I was not a fan of because I hated the entire Gotham series. Um, Let's be fair. He was fine on Gotham. Wouldn't what know, didn't watch work. enough of it because I thought the whole series was trash. And didn't it want is trash. No, I'm not arguing with you about that. I'm yeah. saying there were shining lights of good performances and a show that is utter garbage. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but again, I didn't watch enough to gauge him on that. But I, I did think he performed very well here. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the callback to when they actually get in touch with him again and you find out he's living with this Filipino girl <laughs> and living his, his best life out there is very odd. And mm-hmm. I was like... It, so of everybody we've chosen to have a happy ending, we choose the cyber criminal. Okay, sure. We'll he, go with it. He did not commit a sin. You must understand that the theme of this is is crime and punishment and sin. And he and 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 Joe is God. And he committed <laughs> new sins for God to punish, you see. In right. the so world we're in. After Joe had brought him up on the altar and told him to sacrifice Isaac, <laughs> he was totally willing to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but I, I thought his character, it's supposed to add dimension to Joe that I don't think it does yeah. by the release and, you know, staying in touch with type thing. I, I just mm-hmm. don't see it adding that. that they No, it's one of the weaknesses of the Berlantiverse where yes. they make a decision character wise because it serves a plot. It serves as a plot device for later on, but it makes no internal consistency. No. Yeah. And. Now, now that I'm I'm done throwing out praise to a secondary character, I hated the sisters. I hated everything about them. <laughs> I, I, I hated them so much. Why? I hated Ellie. I thought she was an annoying little 15-year-old shit who, uh, as most 15-year-olds do, think they know better than everything, etc. Okay. 
but I really rooted for bad things to happen to her because she was just so willing to believe that everybody around her is an idiot except for her. But that is the that is the 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 platform for which teenagers stand upon is they think they're the smartest people in the room and they know everything and then life has to humble them. But like the iron peak. But that's much more encouraged now as opposed to being frowned upon for decades, which worked to keep kids out of trouble. Now they're telling these teenagers, yeah, go be, be free, do this crap, and okay. watch what happens. She repeatedly disregards the warnings of her older sister, just out of mm-hmm. spite, who has already been through this situation with this guy already. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that matter, Delilah, who is just so anti-man because of her experience. Right. You can sympathize and empathize with people who've been through trauma mm-hmm. when that trauma turns them into an absolute, I hate everything about this entire thing and they all must burn, etc. Mm-hmm. You lose me and I don't care a thing about you. I just find you annoying. In and defense they, they of, up- hang on. In defense of the teenage girl, one, the, her writing, her characterization is in line with girls who would be in that situation for the most part. And two, it's not like any of that behavior made her better off by the end of season two than where she started by the end of season two she's like in foster care and her sister's dead and she's worse off for having known all these people and behaving the way she does than when she started so i i can't find fault with that like i like if if she if she needled you and rubbed you in particular the wrong way i i can't argue with that that's a subjective thing but i would be more aggravated if her if her performance and characterization was not believable which i believe it is which is fair, but and, mm-hmm. and back to Delilah now. Yep. Because she was hurt by this jerk off, this Hendy, you know, right. and then decides that uh, all men are scum, etc. You are you mansplaining to me? She keeps- <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> are you both mansplaining? And there was something else, another ridiculous and patronizing. Moment. I believe. It yeah, was. patronizing. <laughs> yeah. Are you mansplaining and patronizing me? I again guffawed. And at that point, like, if he bashed her head into the wall, I wouldn't have shed a tear. Patronize that. Um, let me mansplain how to get bloodstains out of a wall. Um, yeah, uh, that'll get us some viewers. Um, and the but anyway, the feminist so, peroxide. so peroxide is the key. You know, she gets into this pretty much just sexual nature in nature relationship with Joe, but there there starts to be this this kind of back and forth where oh I'm gonna buy you you know this and we're gonna have burgers and act, have a bonding moment, but I'm still gonna act like a bitch to you throughout, um, which is like you know what cut the shit like enough. So instead we get the the idea that, and I've seen this floated around on like Reddit and stuff where like oh no they they were hate fucking each other. Let me explain to you a little bit about yeah. fucking. Okay. <laughs> Nobody wins. Yeah. Nobody. Because if you're the guy, you're now hate fucking. You think it's only good for you. It's not. She's getting something out of you too. Mm-hmm. And if you're the woman, I'm not advocating double standards. I'm just telling you how things have been for forever. You're giving it up. You're letting him in right. to you, to, to something he probably wants a lot more than you want and you're willfully giving that to him you're not getting any you may think somewhere deludedly you're getting satisfaction out of that no he's mm. the one who's getting satisfaction out of that you see i wouldn't even agree with the term hate fucking i think that's a very uh, that's a very specific thing that isn't happening here i think she genuinely liked joe and i think joe genuinely liked her but i think two things about her one she's not into settling with a guy plus you know she seems to value a lot of modern 
independent woman tropes and characterizations. There's which, nothing wrong with an independent woman. There's no, something wrong right. with a woman who thinks everything man is wrong. And and look, and that's fine. And I'm not even arguing that point with you. My, my point is, I think she was happy enough to sleep with him, and she was happy enough to be friends, but for, trauma, modern women trope, whatever the situation is, that was as far as it was going to go. And Joe being, you know, halfway developmentally disabled, you know, doesn't read the signs very well, you know, and makes the wrong moves. And then, of course, she reacts bitchy, which I can see the bitchy reactions driving you a little nuts. But again, she didn't. I didn't hate her. I, I just didn't. I liked her. First of all, I like the first of all, the, the actress is hot as shit. Um, yes, you know, like, you know, I think we can all agree on that. She is a very attractive gal. I would definitely call her the most attractive uh, main female character in the series by a mile. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think Love's unattractive either. But look, um, but till season I, three. But okay, um, but I think. Uh, uh, but I think she's she's definitely more attractive than Love, um, Carmela Zambato. In any case, um, I, she didn't bother me. I. Again, I may not always agree with the characters, you know, with the way they present themselves or whatever, but she didn't she didn't ring false and she didn't come across as so unlikable. Like, like the most unlikable person I've seen in this series so far has been Beck and her friends. And Peach, she wasn't anywhere Peach. near those people. Yeah. But Peach. here's the thing though. Again, going back to the trauma portion of it, which mm -hmm. you would normally empathize and understand with. Sure. That causes her to just be shitty to Fincher from the get-go mm -hmm. with, with no reason. Mm -hmm. uh, be shitty to Joe for no reason initially. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with you here, Pat. I think that might be the issue between you and I is I tend to be overly empathetic. That's partially professionally. That's partially by my nature. And maybe that's the divide here is I'm overly empathizing with her, you think? Yeah, on your end, yes. Or maybe I'm just overly being like enough's enough, cut the shit. But just because you got hurt doesn't mean everybody else needs to get hurt. That and that's fair, Jason. Why don't you want to come back in here and talk about um, Delilah? Uh, the only thing that I had a problem with Delilah is the the whole subplot with the cop could have mm -hmm. totally been written out and yeah. it not changed anything. He he added and subtracted really nothing. Uh, he adds another Chekhov's gun. He adds to the yeah. dramatic tension of the last two or three episodes. There needs to be obstacles for these people to deal with. Yeah, I'm just saying the relationship that he had with her yeah. didn't need to be there. Sure. Uh, because, I mean, he he really served no purpose. The only thing that the purpose he served is toward the end is mm -hmm. that he knew the the relationship with Delilah and her sister. Mm -hmm. And that... And that was the only only thing that he really contributed. Outside of that, it didn't. Now, I think that the fact that the way she was acting mm -hmm. was she was so fucked up. Mm. And everything because of, one, what did happen to her. And two, you know, being a journalist in L.A., it, you see some, you see and you know, fucked up shit all the time. And that sure. kind of makes you jaded. So you kind of misdirect your shit toward people because you can't. You don't know how to compartmentalize everything and you just lash out once somebody mm -hmm. starts getting close to you. Um, and I think that's a lot of what, what they was trying to do with her. They didn't do it effectively. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that that's that's the route they was going to her. Uh, she that she was this damaged, broken person due to her past trauma with Hindi and everything. Uh, and she's trying to be overprotective of her sister, who gives no fucks about anything she has to say. Were we not all assholes to one degree or another at the age of fifteen? Right. Uh, I've, got, I've got a, I've got a fourteen year old daughter that's a complete <laughs> asshole. Um, of course, she has my personality, so that may explain some things. Um, but they they tried to write her in that thing, but I don't think that they did it effectively, and mm-hmm. that's. And that that's one issue I had. I I liked her as a character, but I don't like the the half ass trauma that they tried to project on her to mm-hmm. why she hates everybody. And every time she starts getting close to somebody and lets her guard down, she starts being a bitchy, bitchy yeah. asshole to push them away and raise that wall back up so nobody can get close to her, including her sister. All right, last thing uh, I want to talk about before we just touch on the ending and then close out for the night. We haven't talked about Candace yet. So Joe and her went out to the woods to live deliberately. She she got pushed. She fell down. He thought she died. And then he buried her in a shallow grave. And like Jason or the Undertaker, she erupted from the uh, the, the earth. And uh, she confronted Joe in New York and said, uh, you did things to me and I will not be... I will not be treated in such ways, and I will make you pay for it. I have this long, elaborate Batman-esque plot that I'm developing to get back at you. And Joe says, or I'll just leave. It's fine. And off he goes to LA. Um, And then she tracks him down, finally. And she inserts herself into Forty's life in order to get to Joe, in order to disrupt his life. She tells love that hey he's not who you think he is blah blah yakety schmackety little does she know that love don't care <laughs> love don't give a hoot um and she ends up getting killed by love in the end let me tell you how i saw her necessity pat to be a an obstacle for joe you know the this thing lives and breathes the life's blood of this show is people coming in and out of it that are obstacles for these characters, like any good soapy drama. Um, And so her being there, I thought, provided enough dramatic tension and conflict to, you know, to to make the show really fun. Um, The actress is fine. The character, I'm not unhappy, love slit her throat in the end. (laughs) I was was not, oh no, not Candace. Like when love killed her, I was like, yeah, that's about right. What did you think, Pat? <laughs> well, this is how you know a man's probably doing most of the writing because they take this character who initially has every justifiable right to try to get out there and get revenge and ruin what this guy has going on. And nobody wants to see that. We're all just rooting against her. Right. Like I, I, <laughs> I saw her and in my head I kept hearing uh, expose, I'll never get over you getting over me playing. <laughs> while she would make appearances, which is funny because I listened to it on this great streaming service that Mark could probably tell you a little bit more about. I can, I'm a, as a matter of fact. What was that uh, that you heard, Expose again? Yeah, it was I'll Never Get Over You Getting Over Me by Expose. Well, if you would like to, if you've never heard of Expose, you can uh, use our service that we're giving away here at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, a link in our description for a three 30-day trial of the amazon music unlimited service you can listen to all the expose for a month not don't pay for any of it and if you like it if you like expose you can keep on listening you can retain the service you pay the monthly fee like you do with spotify or apple music or you can cancel it 
with no fuss or no muss, but it's great. It's a great way to do like Pat suggested and just get on Amazon and check out all the expose music you can find. And it's all there for you over 70 million songs. Go on with what you're saying, Pat. So yeah, again, there, if there's any character in the entire series with mm -hmm. justifiable me, justifiable emotions to try to accomplish their task, it's Candace. Yeah, sure. Because regardless yeah. of of the nature of how they broke up, uh, her 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 goal was to become something in the music industry, mm -hmm. and Joe was extremely paranoidly jealous of her interactions with other people, particularly men, mm -hmm. because he's thinking she's stepping out on him in order to further her career. Whether she was or wasn't, hey, she was. Well, no means no, and if she wants to leave, she 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 should be able to leave. Look, everything again, including everything including leaving her for dead. Joe is dead wrong. Yes, and again, if she did choose to step out on him, mm -hmm. nobody's telling you you got to stay. Right. Okay, you did that to me. That sucks. I'm either gonna forgive you somehow, and we're gonna get past this. Or I'm gonna just say the hell with you, and I'm gonna leave because you you burn me, and I ain't getting over that. The the Mike Tyson approach to fixing your relationship is not effective or called for. The the part where they split up, but they're still banging, and then he scares off Brad Pitt. Or no, I was gonna say I was trying not to curse, but you know Jason's already done that. So no, the I'm gonna fuck you to you. Do I make do I make you love me? Is, oh, okay. is not an effective yeah. way to repair your relationship. Not usually. No. No. It usually works about as well as burying someone alive in the woods. Um, <laughs> and, pretend the, and hopefully they're dead. Not you nothing, first but of all, don't bury people alive in the woods. You take them to the water and you make sure they're weighed down. And or punch you the lungs. You know, or or as, as we find out in the wire, the bay will spit them right back out again. Yeah. Mark it on your bingo cards, everyone. Uh, so anyway, again, the, the most justified character in their motives is mm. Candace. She's trying to avenge getting buried alive by this guy <laughs> who assaulted her in the woods. Mm -hmm. That she was going to leave for her career. Right. And instead she wound up with a mouthful of foliage and, and you know, dirt and very uncomfortable crevices. Good, and great, great Berlanti typically writes very strong women. It is very odd that he would write a character so detestable that you're okay with her being buried alive <laughs> and then yeah. later stabbed. Something's telling me Berlanti knows a little bit more about this situation than we would like to believe. Um, <laughs> because this is very far off from writing somebody like a Sarah Lance. Or, we, need to, you know, we should have him on here. Greg, tell, show, show us where the girl hurt you. Greg, Greg where's the body? Just, just <laughs> um, But yeah, so, but they, they just, I don't, like, they just really make her so detestable mm -hmm. because she's gone from, instead of just this person who has every right to seek revenge mm -hmm. she's just decided to manipulate and destroy as many lives as it takes just to justify messing with joe which is where you lose her at the point where she's going to love love he's a murderer and i have the proof and here it is and at that point it's on love to decide what to do with that information at that point candace goes i have done my bit for god and country i have gotten revenge i'm going to go away now when love goes meh who hasn't murdered a guy, you know, or a woman <laughs> here or there in their life? And Candace goes, and, and at which point Candace just unravels and is like, why won't you do anything about this? Why won't you listen to me? And that is where I think as an audience member, you're supposed to turn on her. That's the breaking point. It was right. started, the downward spiral started all the way back at the police station. Right. right. They're basically telling her, hey, you have no evidence of any of this. We're not going to be able yeah. to do anything. Right. And she, you can. How do you feel in that situation, Jason? You're buried alive, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
Do you have any of the dirt still on you? I mean, <laughs> can, can we sample the soil? We need a soil sample to, to, to find out where you are buried. There is no justice in the world where a man buries you alive, and that's not enough to get to get at least an arrest warrant. Have you not watched? Uh, have you not watched WWE? It happens all the time. The, the Undertaker and Kane bury each other alive quite often. And every week on AEW, there's a kidnapping. I'm sorry, Pat. I cut you off. <laughs> no, but but again. <laughs> This downward psychosis where it's the circumstances that manipulate her into this situation. She finally mm-hmm. has this last gasp of rationality where right. she's going to try to not only ruin Joe, but save in her mind this girl Love from potentially the same fate she had. And Love is just like, no, I'm good. I don't need saving. Leave me alone. I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. And yep. at that point, we should all be going, you know what? Go get her, Candace. Go get him. <laughs> Take out everybody. But she's written to be so detestable and unlikable. Yeah. And Joe is written to be so sympathetic. And, and mm-hmm. you want to root for him that it just it, it, it completely flips the logic narrative on its head. And again, if I'm a woman, I'm probably highly offended at this portrayal because. No, I know a lot of women who hate other women. No, I'm not talking about that part of it. I think all women hate other women secretly or not so secretly. Yeah. But more the case of everything that has been wrongfully done to this girl, she has every right to feel the way she feels and act the way she acts. And she's just written to be so awful and dismissive that nobody roots for her. Right. Jason, you want to add uh, anything on Candace? If not, I want to touch on the ending and then we'll get out of here. Well, I mean, the only thing that I have to add on Candace is the fact that when she does bring it up to love, and, you know, she's given Love all this evidence and everything. And it's like the way she's written is the reason why she's doing it is because she's a jealous ex. Yeah. Like she she they're they're trying to make you believe the narrative that she's doing this to Love and how they she portrayed it to Love is that she wants Joe back rather than trying to save her. And I think, like you said, that's where it kind of starts turning. And you start seeing it like, okay, then she still hangs around mm-hmm. a little bit because, you know, she still has the booty call with 40. You know, they still keep her in the narrative, like in the background and references and everything mm-hmm. until the end. So rather than just, okay, look, I, I said my piece, I'm out. Yeah. They, they still let her linger around, which kind of makes it justifiable for love to be like she's the clingy ex that mm-hmm. doesn't want to let go so and that's the only thing that i have to say about candace uh that you guys haven't already covered so uh love nearly gets killed by joe but then she says hey don't kill me i'm having your baby like you do um <laughs> propelling this into like telenovela instead of just your regular american sophie drama um so there's that 40 i believe gets shot by the cop um, yes and then uh, they move, you know, and then we flash forward. She is several months pregnant. The mom is in their life and Joe is hanging out in the backyard and he's reading a book and he's and you're like, OK, the story is told. You know, everything, everything has been cleaned up. All the people that need to die or die are, are dead. And Joe can just move forward with his life. And Joe, like a nut job, sees a girl in the crack of a fence like Wilson from Home Alone and <laughs> No, home improvement. Home improvement. Uh, so close. Um, and he's like, and he's like, I see you. You know, in his pervy gossip girl voice, I see you, 
with your books and your sun hat and I'm going to save you from yourself, whatever the hell stupid shit he says. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> like, it's a great stinger for, for season three, but was not two crazy people raising a baby enough? Did we have to also go into now Joe wants to fuck the neighbor? who's fit? Like, what if she takes off her, her hat and it's Skeletor? He doesn't know. He saw a pile of books and a sun hat and, and relative proximity to his penis. That was it. That was all it took for him to be attracted to a Pat. I don't understand it. It drove me crazy. Nobody's accused Joe of being the most sane and rational thinker during this whole course <laughs> of action, has it? I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So, again, and even towards the end of things, when he's ready to murder love for everything mm -hmm. she's put him through, and his last straw being the murder of Delilah, that he had thought he was culpable before and then found out, no, it was love, and she's telling me all this. Mm -hmm. And I think he even is mad that she murdered Candace to a certain extent. Right. Um, but well, well, everyone's muscling in on his gimmick. I, yeah, well, you know, gimmick infringement's a real thing. Yeah. So it, it's like he's just done with this. You're not who I thought you were. Yes, you're more like me, but I, I hate me, so I don't <laughs> want this. I'm going to kill you. No, I'm pregnant. And then he's going to, you know, he's, he's got this rock to hang on to, which is his little girl or so he thinks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's going to do this all for the kid. And then, oh, wait, you're attractive. You like Tolstoy. You have a sun hat. <laughs> hey. I have a penis. Let's he, do this. Uh, gosh, between the developmental disorder and the ADHD, Joe is quite the catch. Uh, Jason, go ahead and talk about the ending and then take me home, baby doll. Uh, the ending was really fucked up uh, because, you know, who who doesn't think of, you know, a girl getting pregnant to save a relationship? That's worked out so many times before, as <laughs> everyone knows. I mean, that's pretty much a go-to trope. I was um, say, it's a bit of a trigger for you, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but it, it's one of those things that you see it and, and the way they done it because mm – -hmm this happens then they go to the wedding and then you see the end which is where 40 loses his shit and because 40 went and spoke to john stamos mm -hmm. um and so 40 knows everything and knows yeah, how, how 40 everything the only one to put this all together by the way well i have a better question even when they dirty stamos up and make him look prison you know like you know like prison worn john stamos still sexiest man on earth yep that's, that's right Reynolds. Ugh. Next to Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is a talky no. bitch. John Stamos right. for life. All right, lobster. Uh, <laughs> Loki. Uh, anyway, uh, but but then it brings it back to 40. 40 has so, been so Loki. fucking off. <laughs> I've seen right. that. Uh, been so far off the reservation, even though that he's bringing in these facts, nobody believes him because he seems so unhinged. Yeah, and that's the narrative Joe presents to Ellie. It's like you know he's high, he's off, off his rocker. That's what they present when he shows up at the wedding, trying to get a hold of love because love already knows they're going. And it's just one of those things that it's weird because forty, the idiot savant of meth and privilege, <laughs> uh, actually brings up and has figured everything out and is the rational voice at the end of this at the end of the series and that's and when he gets shot it's framed as he's trying to murder joe 
No questions asked. He's got a gun <laughs> to Joe's head. No explanation. Gun on Joe. He gets shot. Lobster. And, and then you just fast forward after that. And it's like, you know, there's some repercussions coming out of this. And they gloss over it as, yeah, well, the parents on the LAPD and there's never going to be an investigation, so we don't have nothing to worry about. And it's like, you don't just gloss over that. <laughs> but, yeah, but as far as the, the whole sundress thing and everything, uh, season three was interesting. Uh, and we'll be talking about that in the near future. January 2nd is when we will come back together again and finish off uh, you season. Uh, all the seasons at this point, we will talk about you season three on January 2nd. And then we can wait patiently for season four, which I assumed it was renewed for. I haven't looked. Yes, it okay, was. It hasn't been renewed. All right. So that is it. That is our review of you season two. You mad geniuses. You made me like this pulpy garbage. <laughs> Uh, this was fun though. I, I've enjoyed talking about this, and I look forward to seeing what craziness there is with the baby in season three. That you know, I, I think when you, I think when you were telling me about this, you're like, "Oh my god, the baby in season three! I can't wait for you to watch this." So, God only knows what happens with Sundress, the Sun Hat Girl, and Tolstoy, and the baby, and all kinds of nonsense. Um, in the meantime, in between time, uh, here's what we got going on this week. Uh, tomorrow we'll have myself and. Um, Robert Winfrey and Alexis Haina reviewing Encanto with music and lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's the, this is the new Disney musical uh, that came out over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, myself and Jason Teasley and Robert Winfrey will be reviewing Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Spoilers, uh, it sucked. <laughs> it Spoilers, is bad. It sucked. It's yeah. bad. Um, Wednesday, myself and Robert Winfrey We'll be doing a triple feature that is MMA-focused. Uh, we'll be reviewing Bruise, which is currently on Netflix with Halle Berry, Born a Champion, which came out the first quarter of this year, and Warrior, which came out almost a decade ago. So we'll do that. And then Thursday, myself and Alexis Haina are going to review Animaniacs Season 2, and myself and Ronnie Adams uh, will be reviewing the one and only season of Why the Last Man. And you might be asking yourself, Why the Last Man? And I will tell you, because it sucked. That's why. Um, on Friday, we are re-airing two Volbeat reviews that we did, and that's because Volbeat Servant of the Mind is coming out. So we've got Rewind, Rebound, Replay, and Rebound, which drove Jesse into the woods to live deliberately. And then we also have, from a few years back, uh, Seal the Deal and Let's Boogie, which was decidedly a lot better. And then Saturday, finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, uh, my, uh, Jesse Starcher had Al Sedano on the, uh, Source Material podcast. They did... Stars and Stripe Volume 2 featuring your favorite superhero in mind, Stargirl, uh, currently having a show on DCW. Check out our triple feature featuring Elizabeth Faust, uh, where we talk three musicals, Tick, Tick, Boom, Everyone's Talking About Jamie and Diana the Musical, our reviews of Resident Evil, The Final Chapter, Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, Black Friday. My son and I did one for Clifford, Home Sweet Home Alone, and Apic Christmas. He did a really good job for a seven-year-old boy. Um, over the weekend, myself and Jesse did a live stream of Clutch Live from the Doom Saloon Volume 4, and myself and Robert Winfrey did a live stream for Tiafima Lopez, being upset by Australian George Cambosis Jr., who is on his way for a unification fight with Devin Haney. All right, Pat, you want to pitch anything real quick? 
Uh, upcoming in January, myself and Mark will be reviewing, we'll be revisiting our Four Kings of Boxing podcast after much debate. Uh, we'll be taking a look at the first ever meeting between Thomas the Hitman Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard to unify the welterweight championships to place in April of 1981. Tremendous fight, tremendous build, everything on that looking good. You'll also hear us on the Mania of WrestleMania podcast between myself, Mark, and Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. You'll be hearing the next episode, which is called WrestleMania 11, 12, and 13, which is a transition into the Attitude Era out of the new generation with a lot of lows and a couple highs. But the Titanic is sinking, and we're going to get to our dinner and go from there. That Leonard versus Hearns show will actually be December 9th. And um, I keep thinking it's December now. What do I know? <laughs> December 9th. Yeah. So, like in two weeks, we'll be doing that next Four Kings of Boxing. And then that Mania WrestleMania will be December 15th. It'll be just me and Pat, unless, of course, Chris Bailey can get from under the, uh, the thumb of the customers during the holiday season. Uh, Jason Teasley's on a shit ton of stuff with me over the next couple of weeks. Um, but he can also tell you about his. Um, it's fantasy football uh, podcast. Yeah, you can find me on Second and Short on all your podcasting platforms. Uh, we do daily TikToks. We got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Look us up there. Always like, subscribe, comment on any content we put out. Uh, like Mark said, um, I'm in kind of the doghouse for you know for Tuesday night for pushing to watch. Resident Evil, and now I'm kind of worried that Winfrey is no longer my friend uh, due to making him sit through this god-awful movie. Uh, then we got some triple features coming up um, in the distant I mean, future. Two weeks, uh, we've got... Um, uh, it'll be... Hang on. It'll be... Uh, King Richard. Yeah, it'll be December 6th. It'll be King Richard, The Guilty, and Night Teeth, featuring my new favorite female actress, Debbie Ryan. Oh, uh, yeah, so I'll be watching that, uh, going over that, watching that this week in preparation of that. I'm really looking forward to it. I really wasn't sold on the King Richard movie, but and it's kind of grown on me. I've heard I've heard some things about it that kind of piqued my intrigue. Um, so, because he was not a good individual, so I'm kind of kind of wondering how they spun spun this with Will Smith um, in the title role, uh, being the father of venus and serena williams so definitely looking forward to that uh but most notably please stick around for our february reviews when me and mark dive deep into the uh lore of the great movies that we love the b movies and stuff that robert winfrey won't review with mark we have like nine or so movies set up across three different triple features that celebrate the length and breadth of black culture for black history month um, I will tell you some of those feature Pam Greer and another one is Booty Tang and others uh, were directed Booty by Hi. Spike. Maybe. Ladies Land. By, <laughs> and the others were directed by Spike Lee. So, yes. Uh. <laughs> um, so, yes, Black History Month here on the Rattledge Broadcasting Network featuring myself and Jason Teasley. It's going to be fantastic. All right, yes. folks. Thanks for listening to our review of You Season 2 for Pat Mullen, Jason Teasley. I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.